Listen for the word of our Lord. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out of this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites in the evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs and omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some gathering less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much, much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body for what you will wear. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace and by your mercy, we pray that you will give us ears to hear, minds to discern, hearts to understand and to feel what this world is to be for us, that we might be your bold people in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. So whether it is located on our iPhones or inside the dashboard of our car, many of us carry with us when we are driving a voice that tells us where to go. We type in our destination and some satellite beams down to us the route that we are supposed to take and we are a long way from triple A triptychs. Anybody remember those things? And it is our hope that the voice inside of our car does not tell us to cross a bridge that is not there or to turn the wrong way down a one-way street. And how many times have we chosen to ignore that voice and drive what seems to us to be a more sensible route, and that voice begins to speak to us and say, at the next available opportunity, turn around so you can get to your destination. Recalculating. Now, the easy analogy that you have heard a ton of times is that in the spiritual world that there is this idea called repentance, which literally means to stop and turn around. And everybody carries within themselves a divine voice that is telling us of the times that we are headed down the wrong path and we must recalculate at the next available opportunity to turn around and go back. And that is sound advice. The life of repentance is a very important part of the spiritual journey to turn around and go back. Now, that's the easy analogy, not necessarily the easy thing to do, but it's the easy analogy to for God to say, turn around, so we should turn around. But there's another analogy that needs to be made at this point. Where are you going? What's your destination? What does the divine voice say that your destination is, the divine destination? Is it someplace in the past or is it someplace in the future? I suppose we are all nostalgic people. We like to look back at the days that seem so much more simple and I personally have a theory that for most of us, we look back to our late teen years when things definitely seemed a whole lot more simple than they do these days. There weren't as many responsibilities. The music was certainly better back in the late 80s. But when I look back, I know that what I am doing is I am looking through a distorted lens. When I look back on my life, I seem to have these rose-colored glasses of the way that life was, and I don't see things as they really were. I only remember them as I want to remember them. You know, it's easy to look back and paint the sky sunny and the breeze cool. And so there can be this temptation in our lives to want to go back, to stop time, rewind the clock when life was easier maybe even resist the future because we don't know what the future holds. You know, that's the sense that we get in our story this morning from Exodus. 
Last week we read that Moses accepts the call from God and he goes to Egypt to free his people and he's gone toe to toe with Pharaoh to let his people go and they've crossed the sea and now they're on the way to the promised land, on the way to the future, on their way to the freedom, leaving behind slavery, leaving behind forced labor and now they're on their way to a new life. But they don't particularly know what that life is going to be. So when the first test comes, when they first wonder whether or not they will have what it takes, namely food itself, all of a sudden there comes this voice that says, go back. Slavery wasn't so bad. The working conditions back in Egypt weren't too bad. At least we had a little bit of food for our stomach. You know, that's the crazy thing about looking to the past. It can turn slave rations into a T-bone steak. And if there's anything that we learn from the Bible is that God does not go back. God is always moving ahead. God is always on the move. God is always making a way. And when the Israelites get to the sea, God parts the waters. Right when the bread runs out, God showers manna from heaven. When the meat runs out, God drops quail from the sky. When water runs out, it seeps from a rock. God is always on the move. And the tragedy of Israel's story is when they keep moving ahead, they make great progress all the way up to the land of freedom. But then when they get to the edge of the promised land and look over and send spies and hear reports that there are giants in the land, what do they do? They forget the sea. They forget the manna. They forget the quail. They forget the water. No, no, no. We got to go back. And so they turn back. And they wander in the wilderness for 38 more years. You know, God's already in the promised land and they're wandering in the wilderness. In Candace Millard's Hero of the Empire, it talks about Winston Churchill's early life. And the 24-year-old Churchill found himself in the middle of the Boer War. And the train that he was traveling through South, South Africa in was attacked by the Boers. And it results in him and all of his friends being captured and marched off to a prisoner of war camp. And from the moment of his arrival in the POW camp, all that Churchill could think about was escaping. He wasn't going to ride out the war as a POW. And so along with his two friends, they devise an escape plan. And at the time that it came for the escape, it was only Winston who was in the right place at the right time. And so when the guards were not looking, he took the chance and he scaled the fence. And he dropped to the other side, and in that moment, on the other side of captivity, the side of freedom, he realized that as much as he wanted to be free, being free was dangerous. It was actually safer for him to be in bondage. But then came a second thought. The only thing more dangerous than being free was to climb back over the fence. And that's when he realized there was no going back. And he moved ahead. You see, God is always moving ahead. 
God is always going to get those people to the promised land no matter what it takes. Manna, quail, water, Moses, Joshua, even Rahab the prostitute helps them get to the promised land. God is always on the move. That's why I love that great story in the Old Testament when the Israelites reach a dead end with the Philistines. And they don't think that they can go any further because the Philistines have got this huge giant by the name of Goliath and nobody can take on Goliath. And then there's this little shepherd boy, David. And he happens to be pretty good with a slingshot and there's five smooth stones that he only needs one of it. And before you know it, the giant is lying on the ground and God's moving forward. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, what do we hear from Jesus? We hear Jesus say, it's time to move ahead. Let's move ahead with a new spirit. The new commandment is love, love. The whole deck is love. It is in the beginning and in the end, according to Paul. Love is the greatest gift that will remain. And it's not about all the statutes and ordinances. No, it's about making sure your neighbor, your fellow human is being loved. And Jesus says, God is on the move. And frankly, perfect love casts out all fear. God will make the way. God provides the manna and the quail and the water because you see, God's love is always moving forward. And it's risky and unknown and uncertain. We sometimes don't get it right. But God is always pulling us to the future because the future is where the living are. And it's the living who needs to be loved. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, Jesus says, for tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own. And by the way, the one who clothes the lilies of the field and makes them look better than Solomon is the same one paying attention to you. Do you remember when Jesus passed the young man who wanted to follow him, but he first said that he needed to bury his father? And Jesus makes that comment that seems so incredibly insensitive, let the dead bury the dead. It's such a harsh saying. But maybe what Jesus is saying is that the man needed to move forward because God was moving forward. And God always has a heart for the living and that's what the church is about. The church of Jesus Christ ever since its very beginning has always been on the move. From the day of Pentecost when a new spirit blew upon the apostles, the church has always been on the advance. The gospels have always been forwarded to a new address. It's not that we don't rejoice in the past and we sing the old songs and we recite the old creeds, but we always move forward. Because we know that God has some loving for us to do. Every time that we baptize a child, it brings us into the unknown future in a changing world. And the church says to all of God's children, we will go with you. We will walk with you into the future. We will love you every step of the way. And we move the gospel forward to a new address, perfect love casting out all fear. When each of us walks through the door on a Sunday morning, you are already over that fence. You're already on your way to the promised land, thinking about a new generation to love. 
Terry Fox is a young Canadian teenager, a great athlete. And he woke up one morning to find that he had bone cancer. And he woke up another morning to find out that they were going to have to amputate his leg above the knee. Talk about wanting to turn back. Talk about wanting to relive the old days. No more than a year later with a prosthesis attached to his thigh, Terry Fox says no more living in the past. Time to move ahead. And he decides to run across Canada, to run across Canada and raise money for children with cancer. And people told him, Terry, you don't have what it takes. You don't have the body any longer. You don't have the stamina. Best you stay in your bed. But Terry says no, and he runs across Canada for children. 28 miles a day he averaged, and people from Canada joined him and emptied their pockets. And at the end of his run, his cancer returned and eventually took his life. But by that point, Terry had raised $22 million for children's cancer research. You know, that's a little bit of love. You know, God is on the move. And God brings us along. Scary and dangerous, it's uncertain. But the greater fear should always be going back. Love is always out in front of us. And perfect love casts out all fear. And all we need to do is move forward with God, for God is on the move. Amen.